But let's take our Bibles and turn to the passage where we find the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And we come to the last Beatitude, blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. But we need to kind of see how this wraps up all of the Beatitudes and how it fits in the divine perspective here. So we'll, we'll read the whole passage, verses 1 through 12 together. I'll read aloud, you read silently. And seeing the multitudes, he, that is Jesus, went up into a mountain, and when he was set or seated, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And now the new one for our consideration, the last beatitude, verse 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake, Jesus' sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Two weeks ago, we saw how the peacemakers are really the soul winners. Those who beseech men in the spirit of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 19 and 20, men who are at enmity with their maker, they beseech them in Christ's stead to be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors for Christ. That's our job. That's our job description as far as God is concerned. That is our mission and our mandate. That is why God has left us here, whether we think about it that way or not. And so that seventh beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers, it just flows into the eighth one, the last one, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, if you and I really want to be peacemakers in this evangelical sense of the word, if we want to go to men that are alienated from God, not only alienated from God, but at enmity with God, and beseech them in Christ's stead to be reconciled to God, and we tell them that they're in rebellion against God, and that He insists that they surrender, what do you think is going to happen? We stir the pot, and there will be persecution. In the book of Proverbs, and I forget the exact reference, I remember this verse, every man will proclaim his own goodness. It's not hard to get that out of somebody, usually. But it goes on to say, but a faithful man who can find... And until the Holy Spirit shows a man or a woman their sin, they will bristle at even the implication that they're against God. Never forget a man that owned a bar in the Cayman Islands. It was a neighbor of ours, and I tried to win him to Christ. As far as I know, he never did get saved. But when I witnessed to him, he, even though he owned the town bar, he said, well, I'm not religious. So I, I, I'm, I'm not against Christianity. I'm, I'm for it. 
I'm just not religious. Well, he, I could never get him to acknowledge what Jesus said, he that is not with me is against me. Until the Holy Spirit shows a man his sin, he's going to just bristle at the implication that he's against God, even if he's engaged in one of the most anti-God vocations. Oh, oh uh, men in general are, are just fine with someone approaching them and saying, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, as some witnessing approaches do. But if you come to them and say, God loves you, but you're on a collision course with Him and you can't win, you better expect them to bristle. You better expect some resentment and hostility. I should say it up front, and I've said it many times before. Here in the West, especially in our country, America, we know so little of real persecution. The brand of Christianity that is now in vogue in the USA is pretty easygoing. True cross-bearing and persecution seems pretty foreign to us. Oh, once in a while, if you go on door-to-door visitation, you'll, you'll get a door slammed in your face. If you carry your Bible to work, somebody may make fun of you. But most believers don't experience persecution. In fact, most of them avoid it altogether. And yet Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 26, this is the words of Christ, not what I'm saying, beware when all men speak well of you. Isn't it interesting? Jesus did not say, if men are turned off by you and reject your message, then you need to do some inventory and see what you're doing wrong. Maybe you need to tweak it a little. Maybe you shouldn't front load it with something that's so confrontational. The Apostle Paul told his, told his protege, Timothy, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. So the question is not if, it's just when. This last beatitude is the consummation and, and climax of all the previous seven of the eight in all. Jesus is saying, in effect, listen very carefully, I think this will help put it in perspective. If you meet all of these direct descriptions, you know, you're poor in spirit, you're meek, you're hungering and thirsting after righteousness, you are merciful, you're pure in heart, you're peaceable, then there's going to be the indirect result. You can put it down. Persecution. Any takers? That's why less than 5% of Americans who claim to be Christians ever, ever witness for Christ. Now, there are three truths in this passage that Jesus teaches us about persecution that we need to understand. We can be ready for persecution without having a persecution complex. We don't have to go around with a persecution complex. We don't have to go around looking for it. Jesus said, just take up your cross. You don't have to go hunting. Where you're at, if you live for Christ, if you stand true to Christ, your cross will be right there. Just pick it up. Talk about two things today, and then in the future, I'm not sure how soon we'll get back to the series because of the holidays, but 
we'll, we'll give the concluding message. We'll spend two messages on this last beatitude. But today I want you to consider with me, first of all, the madness of the persecutors. The madness, the insanity of the persecutors. persecutors. It, do, it doesn't make sense. Christians are a blessing to the world. For the most part, they're just like Christ. It said of Jesus in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, that he went about doing good. And Christians, I'm talking about true Christians, they're do-gooders. They keep their word. They're conscientious. They're productive workers. They don't take advantage of their neighbor. They mind their own business. They're generous. They're merciful. They're philanthropic. They're sympathetic. They're loving. They're magnanimous. They're altruistic. And you could go on and on with other adjectives. How could people get upset at that, incensed at that. It's sheer madness, isn't it? Look closely. And Jesus gives the reasons, though he doesn't excuse the persecutors. He gives the reason for their persecution. First of all, it's shown in their being rebuked by our righteousness. Verse 10, the first part, blessed are they which are persecuted. And here's the key phrase, if you don't hear anything else I'm going to say today, I hope you'll understand this phrase in a better light. For righteousness' sake. For righteousness' sake. Now the word righteous comes from the Greek root, the verb to divide. And if you're righteous, you're going to be different. And if you're different, the world is not going to like you. And you'll be divided from the world. God puts a distinction on you already from the world. Let's read again from that 15th chapter of John. We read from at the beginning of the service. I'd love for you to see some of the verses we, uh, maybe we didn't emphasize as much. John chapter 15, verses 19 and 20. Jesus said, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, Jesus, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. How true. Please, Mark, I want you to hear this, understand this, remember this. We are not persecuted for being noble good, kind, courageous, merciful, and self-sacrificing. I, th I think there's a confusion about that matter in the minds of many Christians. We are not persecuted for those things. It's very unlikely that you will be persecuted for being a do-gooder. I'm reminded the name comes to my mind of Pat Tillman. Many of you remember what happened with this great football player. He was the defensive player of the year for Arizona State in college. He signed a good contract, a lucrative NFL career. He was named to the 2000 All-Pro team, got a salary of $3.6 million. But he decided after 9-11, when he saw what the terrorists did to our country, that he was going to drop that, turn his back on that, and enlist in the U.S. Army. He was tragically killed in Afghanistan. At first we thought it was enemy fire, but it proved to be friendly fire. Pat Tillman was a true hero. No one spoke bad about Pat Tillman unless it was the 
Taliban. No one spoke bad about him in America, and certainly they shouldn't have. I mean, Republicans and Democrats praised him. Even the New York Times said good things about Pat Tilden. Why is that? Pat Tillman was not persecuted for being like Jesus. He was not persecuted for righteousness' sake. Oh, he was noble. He was a hero. He was courageous. He was self-sacrificing. But the world doesn't persecute you for that. Jesus, too, was noble and kind. He went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. But he didn't get praise from the Jerusalem Gazette. It had been prophesied of, of Christ that he would be, we would say it, wouldn't hurt a flea. He, a bruised reed he would not break. He would not quench smoking flax. But look at how Jesus was treated and what happened to him, both by outright pagans, the Romans of the day, and by the religious leaders of his own nation, the scribes, the Pharisees, the doctors of the law. Did they give him a bronze star or a purple heart? Oh, no, far from it. They had him crucified to a Roman cross. Why? Not because he was good and kind and noble and philanthropic and merciful but because he was different. And something about Jesus condemned them. And they felt uncomfortable and exposed in his presence. They could not answer him. His wisdom silenced them. His holiness condemned them. His omniscience infuriated them. He could read their minds and then let them know what they were thinking. Beloved, the world will persecute the righteous man, righteous man or woman not because they're good, philanthropic, noble, honorable, kind, moral. They will persecute the man or woman because his holy, blameless life is a silent rebuke of their unholiness. And let's face it, we don't have anything in common with the world. We just don't. The true Christians, all of his traits are just incompatible with the world's. We are children of the light, they are children of darkness. We live by faith, they walk by sight. We walk in the Spirit, they walk in the flesh. They're dead in their sins. We are salt, they are tasteless. We can see because we're in the light, they're blind as a bat because they're in darkness. We understand them, they don't understand us. We really need to understand that. I agree with the late great Baptist pastor in Memphis, Adrian Rogers. I love that guy. He said this, that which we believe starts at a different source, it follows a different course, and it is headed for a different conclusion. There's a fundamental difference between the true child of God and the child of the devil, the child of the world. Why did Cain hate, persecute, 
and kill his brother Abel? The Bible says so expressly. It addresses that very question. 1 John 3, verse 12. Here it is. Because his, that is Cain's own works, were evil and his brother Abel's were righteous. That's why. Abel hadn't done anything ugly toward him. Abel didn't even preach at Cain, I don't think. His righteous actions did. His faith in God demonstrated by his obedience was a rebuke to his self-reliant brother. God rewarded Abel. God rejected Cain. And that was all Cain could handle. He couldn't strike out at God. He couldn't reach God. So he killed the man he could reach. He killed the man that God accepted, his own brother. Look what they did to Daniel. Daniel suffered because he was righteous. Think about Daniel for a moment. In one of the opening chapters there in the book, it talks about the fact that he actually intervened to keep the pagan wise men of Daniel from being executed because they couldn't interpret the dream. He was able to interpret the dream. He saved their lives. But a later generation of those same wise men hated Daniel. They hated him for being righteous, for putting his God first and obeying him in everything. And so his enemies said, in effect, this man condemns us by what he does. We're going to have to catch him in some other way. And so they fabricated a trap. And you know the rest of the story. He's thrown in the lion's den. God preserved him. But even if God hadn't preserved him, he was still going to worship his God. We need to expect the same thing that befell Daniel. Let's not think it's strange when we are hated for the same reason Daniel was hated and even our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was hated. Make sure that when you're being persecuted, you're being persecuted and not punished. Make sure it is for righteousness' sake. If it's not for righteousness' sake, it's not persecution. The Apostle Peter addresses that very matter. If you'll take your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. Probably familiar verses to most, but we need to look at them again. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. The book of 1 Peter is addressed to suffering saints, many of them suffering persecution. Verse 14, if ye be reproached, if ye be insulted for the name of Christ, happy are ye. It sounds just like what Jesus goes on to say there, doesn't he? Rejoice and be exceeding glad. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet, verse 16, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. You can suffer for things less than being a Christian, and you won't get this benediction given to the persecuted. Some people confuse the offense of the cross with just being offensive. That's sad. That's tragic. There's never any excuse to be rude or crude or fanatical or unethical. Please don't hide behind that persecution complex. 
If your boss reprimands you for witnessing on company time, that's not persecution. If people avoid you for just being plain out obnoxious, and I'll be blunt, maybe you just have a problem with bad breath. Maybe you're not considerate enough of others to use good grooming and personal hygiene and people avoid you like the plague. That, you're not being persecuted. Maybe you're ostracized for arguing politics on the job. Maybe even with people that aren't even saved and they just don't even come around you. That's not persecution. I heard of an evangelist one time, he's in heaven now, but he, ordered, he was ordered off the porch of someone he was witnessing to, and he stayed there long enough to pronounce a string of biblical woes on them, and they called the police on him. I'm sorry, that's not persecution. True persecution is for righteousness' sake, it's the result of a believer's being willing and daring to live out the Beatitudes. The madness of the persecutors. It is shown, secondly, in their reacting to our Redeemer. Brother Brent highlighted this fact already, but Jesus said in verse 11 there of Matthew chapter 5 that this persecution is for His sake. Blessed are ye, verse 11, when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. The word there means for a lie. For my sake. Likewise, Jesus said in Matthew 10, you may, don't need to turn there, just listen if you will, 10, 17, and 18, Jesus said, but beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, they will scourge you, they will whip you, they'll beat you in their synagogues, and ye will be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles, for my sake. So the world hates Jesus, we've already established that. His righteousness condemned men. His holiness condemned men. The world hates Jesus, and let me remind you, it always has. That's never changed. In the early days of the church, the Romans invented charges against Christians. They accused them of being cannibals because of the terminology they used about observing the Lord's Supper, of eating Jesus' body and drinking His blood. So they accused them of being cannibals. They accused them of having sex orgies at their love feast, though they did not. Christians were accused of setting fire to the city of Rome. They were branded as revolutionaries, and they were cruelly persecuted and many of them executed. The world still hates Jesus. Even the religious world, even the people that put out nativity sets and hope to cash in on the commercialization of Christmas, The Roman Catholic Church, during the Spanish Inquisition that started in Europe in the 1400s, killed many true children of God. The greatest atrocities ever perpetrated in history have been done in the name of religion. The cruelty of some of the Protestant reformers who didn't reform enough and advocated a state church is well documented. They bitterly persecuted our forefathers the forerunners of Baptists. I'm not saying perpetuate the hatred. I love the Reformed crowd. Had some fellowship with some this week. But very few of them are willing to admit that. And yet this was the very reason for the rise of the Puritans. 
to choose Christ in the early days of the church and even down through the centuries since then in times of persecution. To choose Christ often meant choosing death, maybe by stoning or by being doused with pitch and being set on fire by Nero to light the streets of Rome, or to be wrapped in animal skins and thrown to vicious packs of mad, starved dogs. That really happened. That's not isolated instances. Why did it happen? Because the powers that be hated Jesus Christ. And the servant is not greater than his master, and so the early Christians expected to be treated the same way Jesus was, and they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name. Have we forgotten that? It's really no different today. Oh, the world pays lip service to Christian America. As I said already, even the commercial world, they, they don't have any problem with the baby Jesus. A little baby doesn't pose any threat. Uh, the baby Jesus at Christmas time is good for business. The world loves the miracle-working, philanthropic Jesus. When we go out with our Joseph project, it's amazing how some people with liberal signs in their, in their yard, still, they'll still fill a bag to, to give humanitarian relief to people, and I'm glad they're willing to. It's easy to get worldly people to give to a religious hospital or humanitarian relief to help some starving African nation. But the world hates the Jesus that testifies that its works are evil and exposes them. In verse 22 of the same chapter we've been going back to frequently, John 15, Jesus said, If I had not come and, and spoken unto them, they'd not had sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. That means they're exposed. Jesus came to rip the mask off sin. And that's why the world crucified him and still hates him, and they'll hate us if we follow in his train. He exposed not just the social sins of the day. If he were here in person, he wouldn't just expose the things that the world generally condemns, the drunkenness, domestic abuse, pornography, sexual exploitation. Much of the world pays lip service to that. But Jesus will expose the root sins that are usually dis disguised. The pride, the self-righteousness, the hatred, the covetousness, the lust. He ripped the mask off. They hated him for it. Please realize that this hatred for Jesus is blind. It's mad. It's irrational. That's why Jesus said, there in John 15, verse 25, quoting from the 35th Psalm, they hated me without a cause. I mean, think about it. The infant Christ is no sooner ushered into the world than within a couple of years the sword of Herod is brandished to cut him off. And innocent babies and toddlers in and around this little village of Bethlehem are slaughtered just to try to get Jesus. 
When he begins his public ministry at the age of 30 in his hometown of Nazareth that was despised, they were even his hometown people were offended in him as he stood in his synagogue. You can still see the base of that synagogue over in Nazareth today. And the scroll was brought to him, and it was opened up to Isaiah 61, where he said, The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel. And then he folded up the scroll, handed it to the attendant, and he said, This day this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. And they didn't like it. They drove him out to the precipice of a hill. You can still see that hill. And they tried to push him off where it had been certain death on the rocks far below, but it wasn't his time, and he avoided their presence. According to John chapter 10, the Jews tried to stone him at, at point-blank range. And it wasn't just the leaders that felt this way. All classes of society hated him. Oh, yeah, for a time the common people heard him gladly, the Bible says. But then they came together, they joined their leaders in coming to Pilate and clamoring for Jesus' blood. The same crowd that said, hail him, hail him at his triumphal entry, said, nail him, nail him by the end of the week. I wonder, do we really understand that the disciple is not greater than his master, nor the servant above his Lord? Are we willing to do, as the writer to the Hebrews says at the end of the book, are we willing to go unto him outside the camp, bearing his reproach? Not our own for being rude or crude or obnoxious, but bearing Jesus' reproach. It's so easy to do just the opposite. It's so easy to just play it safe and hide. To just go along with the world, to get along. To not make any waves. You can easily avoid persecution. You can just live and let live, and it'll cost you nothing. And it'll be worth nothing. You can just be quiet about your faith. You can just laugh when the world laughs. And you can be entertained by the same raunchy stuff they watch. And you can drink your alcohol at the same Christmas party like they do. And you can wear the same immodest fashions. There's no stigma there. You can steer clear of any confrontations. You can practice the art of compromise. You can peacefully coexist with sin. On and on I could go. That's considered even a virtue. That's the new tolerance. And it's the popular way of practicing religion. But I'm here to tell you today, if you dare to be different for Jesus' sake, the world will observe that and will persecute you too. But their real target is not you, it's Jesus. So are you willing to do it for Jesus' sake? Will you stand for him, or will you deny him? The madness of the persecutors. I have one more thing I'd like to share. I'd like to see the clock. Good. The manner of the persecutions. Not only the madness of the persecutors, but the manner of the persecutions. I think it's significant with uh, verse 11, there's a change of pronoun. Notice that verse 10 says, blessed are they, and it's been third person up until that point with all of the Beatitudes. Blessed are they which are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But then it changes, Jesus changes in verse 11, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute 
you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Ah, all of a sudden this persecution is no longer general, but it gets personal. It gets personal. What forms will that persecution take as it affects you and me? Of what does it consist? Well, I think the wording here is very suggestive. First of all, this persecution will consist of verbal abuse. They will revile you. The Greek word is anadizo. It's, uh, it means insult. It literally means casting in one's teeth, just like the Sanhedrin did to Jesus. Defaming, insulting. The world will openly ridicule you and me and, and make us the butt of their jokes. The Bible says that concerning Christ at the scene of one of his miracles, I think it was raising the daughter Jairus, when he said she's, she's just sleeping, she's not really dead, the Bible says they laughed him to scorn. The Son of God, they just guffawed, laughed him to scorn. Even as he hung pathetically upon the cross of Calvary, was there any common pity? Was there any milk of human sympathy? No, they mocked him. You think that's going to happen to us? Will we be able to take it? Or will we be offended in him? And like those disciples in John chapter 6, walk no more with him. And he turns to the twelve and he says, will ye also go away? I want to remind you, we're, we're, we're not insulated celebrities. It's not beneath our dignity to be, treat, to be treated like Jesus was. The Apostle Paul, the elite, noble, erudite Pharisee that he, that he was, was willing to be reckoned, as he told the Corinthians who were so proud, he says, we you need to be willing to be reckoned, I am, to be reckoned the filth and offscouring of all things. You've heard me say it before, ladies. That means you're willing to be regarded just like the stuff you scrape off the skillet into the garbage can. God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He uses the things that are weak to confound the, the things that are strong and powerful. He uses things that are dis, despised, things that are not. They're just nondescript to bring to naught the things that are. Are we willing to be one of those things? Verbal abuse. This persecution will also take the form of physical and psychological cruelty. They will not only uh, use verbal abuse they will, and revile you, they will persecute you. The word persecute is in the Greek, a passive participle here. It literally means to allow themselves to be persecuted. Allow yourself to be persecuted. And the Greek root here, the, the verb involved, means to pursue. Isn't that interesting? How fitting it is then that Jesus describes us as sheep in the midst of wolves. What are wolves going to do? They're going to pursue. I saw a little bit of a video on, on the news. I couldn't watch it all. It was too bad. But a father getting out of his SUV got his little the toddler got out the other side. And a coyote grabbed that little girl. He was quick enough to get it to run away, but it drew blood. 
the coyotes, the wolves will pursue us, the sheep. Like barracudas in the ocean, they're drawn to the blood in the water. Most of us have not yet resisted unto blood, as the writer to the Hebrews talks about, chapter 12. But the time may come when we will, just like many who have died for their faith in China. It's estimated 100 million Christians in China, and there's so many who've been persecuted for for the Lord. There's so many unregistered churches there and in other countries, like in Sudan, where believers have been sold into slavery for as little as $15 a head. Last year, the year 2021, do you realize 6,000 believers are known to have been martyred for their faith around the world? 80% of them came from one country. It wasn't Afghanistan. It wasn't North Korea. It was Nigeria which has 98 million professing believers. The next two on the list were Afghanistan and North Korea. Oh, you say that could never happen in America. Are you sure? The countries of North Africa where the Muslim imam howls and the call to prayer for the Muslims is and where he Christians better not go as missionaries or they'll be persecuted. It was once ablaze with gospel light. And if we are mistreated physically, the devil may use psychological persecution. He may play mind games with us. He may taunt us to our face to make us, to all intents and purposes, renounce Christ. We will be pursued. The root word there of persecuted. The world will be on our trail to see how we react. So how will we react? When the persecution gets stepped up and it's just a matter of when, not if, will we sell sell out to the world? Will we cave to the culture? Will we rationalize, as so many have done down through the centuries? Oh, uh, we can accomplish so more for Christ. I can prolong my usefulness if I just won't be too strict and too blatant about my faith. I ask you, what have we to do with consequences? Consequences are in the hands of our Lord, our Savior. Ours is but to do and die. Let us beware of men, Jesus said in Matthew 10, verse 17, for they will deliver you up to the councils, they will scourge you in their synagogues. And that's exactly what they did to the apostles after Jesus ascended to heaven. But they counted it all joy. Thirdly and finally, what does persecution entail? What's the manner of it? Verbal abuse, physical and psychological cruelty, But thirdly, we can tell from this beatitude it involves character assassination. Jesus said they will say all manner of evil against you falsely. The word falsely implies a lie. The idea here is that they would do it behind the back. Isn't that kind of the way they did it with our blessed Savior? They did it in a sleight of hand way. 
backhanded way. They accused Jesus of casting out devils by the power of Satan himself. How low can you get? They sneered at him as being born of fornication. Though his mother Mary was a pure virgin when Jesus was born or when he was conceived. They deprecated his hometown, Nazareth. As Jesus hung from the cross, they added to his, the torture that had gone before by taunting him. They said, he said that he trusted in God. Let's wait and see if he will deliver him, if he will have him. Don't you know that struck agony to the heart of the Son of God, the slander against his father? Yes, just as Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, that great kenosis passage, Jesus made himself of no reputation. We have a hard time when people slander our reputation. Yes, a good name is better to be chosen than great riches. But what if our good is evil spoken of? What if our motives are misunderstood? Our, our character is impugned and assassinated. Can we just leave that with God? Because we're going to need to. Can we just trust that He will vindicate us in His time, even if it's in eternity, and reward those who are persecuted for His sake? Can we do like Jesus did, who when He was reviled, He reviled not again? Can we just bite our tongue and wait on God to sort it all out and vindicate us in His time? Oh, I pray that we will. When we resume this series, whenever that will be, a few weeks, we'll look at the marvelous promise associated with this beatitude. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And earlier, it says there in verse 10, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Jesus said, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the very same blessing uh, promised and associated with the first beatitude. Isn't that interesting? We'll talk about that. We'll take a deep dive, God willing, into why we can rejoice. But I wrap it up again by saying, beloved, sooner than we think, we're going to need to claim this promise. I won't score any brownie points for this. I know some are watching by live stream, as well as some who are here today that this may apply to. If you are fearful of the little birth pangs that Jesus talked about in the Olivet Discourse, I'll be even blunter. If COVID makes you quit the house of God for good, how will you cope when travail and distress of nations comes upon you? Do you really think you will stand true for Christ then? As Ezekiel said, if the footmen tire you, what will the horsemen do? Suffering is a privilege. There's the gift of suffering. Paul tenderly told the suffering Philippians, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Suffering is a gift from God. Don't waste it. You and I are witnessing the loudest when we suffer in true meekness. Let's just make sure that when we 
are called upon to suffer persecution. We do it without complaining. We do it without bitterness. And we do it without a spirit of retaliation toward the persecutors. Let's make sure that when we suffer, we are suffering for righteousness' sake. And then if we do, some will be induced to want the Jesus we have. They'll be compelled to confess, as I told that story about a missionary years ago in Africa who buried his wife and he was so far away that he couldn't even take her to have her to, to a, a funeral home, have her embalmed. He just had to bury her within 24 hours, hollowed out a tree, dug a hole, put her in, covered it with banana leaves, put her in the ground. He'd been discouraged in his attempts to reach the natives. They just wouldn't open up to the gospel. To his surprise, the very next morning, they were knocking at his door, wake, awakening him at an early hour. And they said, Mr. Missionary, we want to hear more about your Jesus. We knew that he was good enough for you to live by, but now we know he's good enough to die by. Blessed are the persecuted. For there is the kingdom of heaven. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. For such, so is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Shall we pray? Oh God, we're so weak and flabby. We're not ready to suffer persecution. We've endured such little hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We have not resisted unto blood in our striving against sin. Would you fortify us? Would you put some holy grit in our craw and spizzerinkum in our backbone? And when the person, persecution comes our way, May we do as we will sing in just a moment, be a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb, and not fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name. Help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.